Hello and welcome to Arrest All Mimics. My name is Ben Tallon. This is the Creative Innovation Podcast. How are you doing? Thanks for listening, as ever. Much appreciated. The weather this week is dirty haze. It's been a bit nasty. There's been fires up on the moors outside of Manchester, where I'm based. Uh, smoky mist hanging over the city. It's all a bit scary stuff going on. Um, I hope you're good. I'm back. I'm slightly jet-lagged. Uh, thanks for staying patient during the little absence. I said little absence. To be honest, the shows have been coming thick and fast this summer. We've had a lot of time-sensitive episodes coming up uh, with the Weird World Cup episode. Thanks for listening in for that one. Um, and today we've got Cal Doran from Flow. Flow Creative being a creative studio based in Manchester, specialising in animation, film and video production. Telling their stories that way. Uh, they're doing great things. They're winning a lot of awards at the minute for... Uh, for good reason, for good work, for good, strong, uh, soulful work. They're a good bunch of guys. I'm going to be talking to founder and creative director Carl shortly. But first, uh, I just want to say a little thank you to my sponsors, illustrationweb.com, founding sponsor, my fantastic agency. They do a great job creative, sorry, supporting the creative industry. Uh, representing many different artists from all different genres, from hand lettering specialists to fashion illustrators to large scale to live, GIFs, animated, it's all going on. They're a great agency, they care deeply about creativity and what we do, and they've been supporting this show from day dot, so a big thank you to those guys. Go and have a look, illustrationweb.com, they're a superb little agency doing... uh, Awesome good stuff. Planting a lot of trees. Go and have a look at their uh, their trees initiative. They've got going on the website too. They've got a good news section so you can hear the stories behind the projects and the artists on the roster. So go and have a look. Heartinternet.co.uk. Uh, give us a digital tip every episode. Uh, they're fantastic. They provide great hosting, SEO support, advice, social media advice, all the stuff we need to get ourselves strongly positioned on the old Google. Uh, so our businesses and creativity have the best chance of being seen and commissioned and making the money we need to live, because that's the game. <laughs> uh, so go and check them out, and, and usually, like I said, they give us a digital tip. I'm going to turn it on its head this time. Um, so when I moved back to Manchester, I'd been chatting to Cal Doran from Floor, you know, various stuff, appreciating each other's work, the usual caper on, on Twitter and Instagram and the rest of it. And I'm sitting outside a cafe on Oldham Street in Manchester, and just sort of aimlessly staring around, having a coffee and that, and 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 Carl wanders past, and I could, you know, it's like a double take moment, we sort of we did a double, double take, so Carl looks back over his shoulder, didn't quite commit to the look, carried on walking, I did the same thing, I'm like, that looks like a familiar face, uh, I can't place him, and the light bulb went off, but he'd long gone. Um, that who it was, so I got back to the studio, and there's a little direct message in my Twitter inbox going, we, no, I don't want to be weird, but we were sitting outside a cafe on uh, Oldham Street just now in Manchester, and we both found this hilarious. I said, "Okay, cool, right, let's get this meetup sorted." Uh, didn't recognise you by your avatar, uh, so the reason I'm telling this story, I want I want to turn this tip on its head, and I want to ask you guys about the old for the this new faux pas that we have to deal with these days of going to like a networking event or going to uh, meeting someone that. You think you're just meeting for the first time and it turns out you've been having these conversations with them for, for months and years sometimes on, on some social media platform and you've fallen foul of uh, you know a character as an avatar or not recognising them from the tiny little picture that you've got to work with. 
and then feeling like a right shit <laughs> for not knowing them. It's horrible. Um, so have you guys experienced that? And I want your tips on how to get around it or any funny stories about how you put your foot in it. Maybe you didn't recognise your, your, your husband or your wife from their avatar, something stupid like that. There'll be someone who's got that story. You just know it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, thanks to the sponsors, illustrationweb.com, heartinternet.co.uk. Big thank you, of course, to the Association of Illustrators for their ongoing support and Real Junk Food Manchester feeding bellies, not bins. Great little cafe doing gourmet food from salvaged food from um, restaurants and supermarkets that are under um, obligatory rules to bin perfectly good food and these guys intervene they do a pays you feel uh initiative so that you can go in there uh and and kind of think okay what's this food worth and you get a really great dinner that, that was going to go in a bin and they support many great causes including homelessness so really worth checking out go in there and have your coffee instead of the big corporations if you get a chance please because they're a great bunch of guys uh running a fantastic project and also supporting a lot of creative people in the city so go and have a look at them um so that's all for the sponsors thank you to the 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 crucial support keeps me doing this show for free for you guys um so yeah like i said sorry i'm slightly croaky i I think it's a combination of the fire the jet lag i've been to minsk in belarus and beijing in china back-to-back trips i am knackered but it's been fantastic and as soon as i've recorded this i'm going to go and rest my weary head because it's been absolute sensory overload i was doing an artist residency in beijing at wf central which is a huge shopping mall right in the heart of the city uh, the chinese capital i was working on products working on the walls creating murals uh, it's a really really kind of an amazing experience really i was fortunate to have and creating a mural for a basically an expo of UK creative culture in Minsk, in Belarus, run by the embassy. So that was quite interesting too. Did a drawing workshop in the park, did a huge mural. So if I sound a little croaky and a little tired, that's why, because I've been running around doing all this stuff and now I need to get my shit together, start producing this show with some regularity and get my portfolio back out there. Ugh. All the stuff. It never ends, does it? It never ends, this creative industry lack. So thank you for persevering with the kind of bizarre release dates of the show. Still aiming for bi-weekly, but it's, sometimes they've been weekly, uh, three in a row, I believe. Um, so yeah, it's all going on. So thanks for coming back. Um, so Carl Doran, why did I want to talk to Carl? Because Flo are doing awesome work at the minute. I saw on the scene, they've been winning a number of awards, and I was... Um, Having a look and seeing why, and they've been doing some fantastic projects, uh, award-winning projects with Arts Council England, which Carl's going to detail, and how that came about by sticking Barney Ibbotson, illustrator, in his window. (laughs) It's a good story. Uh, Barney's work's awesome, and he created some fantastic uh, sort of stained glass window, contemporary illustrated style um, for these awesome old-style windows in the office they were in at the time floor. So we've got that story coming up, and how that attracted a job that won them a big award. Uh, it's all going on. Carl's going to discuss his background growing up in Withenshaw, uh, once upon a time Europe's biggest council estate, growing up at a time when maybe chances for young people to find talent, their talents and express themselves were not so rife. You know, they weren't, we didn't have the internet, they didn't have the outreach at the time. So he's going to talk about that and how that kind of um, wasn't such a bad thing in his story and how he took a roundabout route to getting into the creative industries. He'll tell us about some absolutely sterling careers advice uh, from school 
Liverpool. Uh, I think we've all had that once upon a time. So that's a good one to look forward to. And he's going to talk about the transformations in Manchester over the last sort of decade or so. You know, how the creative scene is now thriving. It's very friendly. Carl's a very honest, open guy. I had a wonderful time hearing his story. So I'm going to bring that to you in a moment. And I want to get your feedback. So please do hit us up on the social media at Arrest All Mimics on the usual channels. Um, go and check out Flo's work of course get us a little review on Apple Podcasts please if you get a moment they're very valuable if you like what I'm doing and like the show then go and uh, go and support that with a little review please let us know your thoughts on the social media uh, get us your feedback uh, and like I say courtesy of Heart Internet this episode let me know how you deal with that kind of social faux pas of bumping into someone you're supposed to know through social media and you don't recognise them through their tiny avatar because it's awful <laughs> enough banging on from me um Thanks again to all the sponsors, everyone, for listening. Cheers for coming back. Regulars, welcome any new listeners. Uh, do spread the word, please. Love doing this show. Want to just support creativity and the creative industries by sharing all these amazing stories that people give me their time to tell. Uh, so please go and do that. And without further ado, I meet Cal Doran at their former office. Actually, they moved now um, of Flow Creative. Uh, I do apologise because it took ages to get this show out. Cal gave me his time a while back and then I've been hit by a flurry of time-sensitive shows. So... Better late than never, right? Uh, and the stories hold up because it's wonderful. So cheers to Cal. Cheers for listening. Here you go. Cal Doran, Flow Creative. Watch, where are you from? Are you from, are you from Manchester? Yeah, yeah. Manchester, yeah. All my life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Born in Within Shaw. Yeah. Which, uh, was, which was nice. Um, yeah, which was the, the Europe's biggest council estate, apparently. Uh, That's right. I heard that. There's a couple of friends from there, yeah. I think there's one uh, that's taken over now in Frankfurt that was built in the kind of late 90s. Uh, but in the but in the eighties when I was there, it was you know, it was, it was a cool place to be in a way. It was interesting. There was a, there was a real mix of characters. Mm. Um, but yeah, we we only lived there to be honest till I was I think I was ten or eleven. Then we moved to Burnage, uh, in South Manchester. And so yeah, always been always lived here. Always lived in Manchester. Yeah, visited a lot of other places, but never really stayed for long. Mm. Um, but yeah, Manchester's. Yeah. How are you feeling about the current the current scene? In Manchester, yeah. I think it's ace. Yeah, I think it's really good. It's uh, I've not always been doing this uh, this kind of work really, so I think I'm relatively kind of new to mm. to the creative scene in Manchester in a way, which I'll tell you more about later. But but uh, but yeah, I think I've always lived and worked in Manchester, and I think it's you know people sort of talk about gentrification and things, and does it make cities worse? And but for me, around here, the northern quarter, especially where I work now, where I am every day. Uh, is unrecognisable to what it was even 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to work uh, like a crappy little telesales place on Lever Street, two doors down from where Flo is now. Um, and uh, it, there was nothing there. It was all like pet shops and pawn shops. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. And there was one there was one pub called The Land of Cakes uh, that was a proper rough little pub where like, every day there'd be people coming in, shoplifters trying to sell stuff. And like one day we were in there and the landlady saw them come in uh, and she was like, hey, what are you doing? And we were like, oh, going to get kicked out and she's like I told you come to me first <laughs> and she, she was kicking off because they'd gone to the punters trying to sell the gear yeah. uh, without going to her first and so so she was like corrupt uh, so and that was we used to go there on our lunch break like uh, for a couple of pints trying to fit two pints in at lunchtime and uh, and it was a proper rough lot but that was it there was nothing on Ancoats there was nothing the other side of Ancoats where all that Rudy's Pizza and all those kind of things are popping up now mm-hmm. we have Lofts and everything. There was nothing there, so you know, is it a good thing or a bad thing for me? I think for Manchester, I think it's pretty much been a good thing to be honest. Mm. It's uh, since since the IRA bomb, where 
the kind of there was a big surge of money and impetus to, to change things because it needed to be done. Uh, it's unrecognisable. It's miles better than what yeah. it was when I was a kid coming out in town. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, I, I, I love it. Yes, there's that balance, isn't there? It's like you don't want it to get to the point where it completely prices people out, but it, I don't think it has. I think it's yeah. it's exciting. I, I, you know, we walk down Oldham Street and there's characters left, right, and centre are all walks of life. And yeah, I think that's, I think Manchester's quite unique for that. There's such a kind of mesh of interesting people. Right? Yeah, I just find there's never a dull day out on the streets, is there? Yeah, and I think it's very accepting of different types of people as well, and it's very cosmopolitan in a good way, and it's very kind of. You know, like 10 years ago, going out in town, it was all about Deansgate locks and, and kind of like Rockport boots and uh, Opal fruit shirts and everything. And, and it was it, it was full of knobheads, really. We used to go out and I remember one night going out in Deansgate when I was about 19, 20 and walking the length of Deansgate uh, and going past maybe 10 fights uh, along the length wow. of people chucking bottles around, smashing shop windows. It was full of knobs. Town was generally full of knobs at that time. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, can I swear? Yeah, you can swear as much as you like. Oh, yeah. It's nice nice thing about the show, no one got <laughs> all my shit. <laughs> but yeah, there wasn't like the Northern Quarter didn't exist, and kind of the main areas to go out in town of, during the week were okay, but over the weekend would just get filled with knobs. Um, and now, like around here on the Northern Quarter, you see people dressed as goths walking around, you see people like in tweed waistcoats mm. and uh, what they call sock braces. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. walking around yeah. the day with a unicycle and sock braces. <laughs> I'm glad that that can happen that you can walk yeah. around town and no one's giving you any grief Yeah. and like 10 years ago he'd have got planted that guy you know he'd have... yeah it's a shame isn't it uh, you know it's like I mean I just grew up in a small working class town similar thing you know you think oh god if it's not a baseball cap I better be careful you know it's like yeah. it's that kind of deal but it's it's changing definitely and, it, and, and in bigger cities definitely it's really great to see that going on yeah definitely it's it's a cool place to be as well it's a uh, like it does still change around the northern quarter now through the week you get a different type of clientele in the cafes and bars than you do at the weekend and you do get a few uh, kind of tourists coming and things but but you know the idea for me of Manchester being uh, a tourist destination is still a bit weird in a way because when I was a kid going out in town it was like it was grubby and grimy and it was it wasn't a particularly kind of cool or attractive place to be um, and now it kind of has become that yeah uh, and now there's like you know you, you see tourist bus going around and people on walking tours and things like that and that can only be a good thing for me absolutely yeah um, and, and also like it's got such a great heritage Manchester that it, it has got a lot to talk about it's got mm. a lot to say and, and it's good that those things are being celebrated now absolutely yeah 100% so what's your what are you what's your background? What's your roots? Do you create a kid? Did you? I mean, what's, I know you only started Flow quite recently, right? Yeah, a year and a half ago. Uh, it was kind of March or April last year. Um, yeah, I suppose my kind of journey, if you like, has, has been a bit of a, a a weird one in a way. So shall I tell you my, my fucking journey, man? Yeah, give me it. <laughs> yeah, it's always the it's always the, the interesting stuff I think where people have come from. Yeah, well, I suppose like yeah, so, so it was a very working class kind of. Um, family uh we were grew up in a, a council estate in withenshaw and then in burnage and the things that the kids did was football and boxing and uh, and that's about it you know there wasn't really that much else uh, to do with computer games um and so like my career options uh, as far as i knew at the time was try and make it as a footballer uh, or i remember the careers advice at school i got once was uh could you think you'd be able to make it as a footballer and I was like, I don't know, I might not be good enough. I was like, well, try, because 
uh, it'd be good if you could, because that's, you know, you, you physically, you're fit, and you might be able to do that. And then they said, if not, there's always the army. And that was, <laughs> that, that was the other option. So, like, and then another teacher, that was the careers advice lady, another teacher told me, like, I was either going to end up in the army or in jail once at school, uh, which was nice, like, shot of encouragement. But, uh, but yeah, it's, like... But yeah, there wasn't really... I didn't really know about creative creators. I didn't know about graphic design, illustration, or, or motion graphics. Sounds like they didn't. I don't think they did. I don't think they did. And I think that that's partly kind of, you know, they, they, they couldn't tell the kids what they didn't know. You know, I don't think they knew about the career paths mm-hmm. uh, that are available in the creative industries. And maybe they weren't as clearly defined back then, I'm not sure, but there was graphic designers, there was illustrators, there was people doing those jobs. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know, we just, the, the only, I like drawing, I used to always love drawing, uh, and I used to draw, I loved uh, comic art and kind of sci-fi book covers and anything to do with space and dinosaurs and, and anything like that, typical sort of boy stuff uh, and monsters, and that's what I used to like drawing, um, and I used to do, and I was alright at it, I think, that was the one thing at school that I kind of uh, was good at um, and, and kind of excelled in, so I used to do a lot of drawing. But the, the only kind of... So I did art, GCSE and things, and did all right in that. Uh, but I never really knew where that could go. I didn't have a clue about what you could do after that, after school or college or university with that. So the only kind of idea that I had in my head was uh, be an artist, like fine art career. Um, and the likes of like Damien Hirst were Tracy Emin and all that kind of group were doing big stuff at the time. And so art had kind of was in the news a bit and I was becoming more aware of it as a thing but it wasn't really drawing and painting and stuff it was more conceptual stuff mm-hmm. but yeah so I saw myself going down the the route of, of a fine artist and also I had it I don't know if this was at school or college can't remember but someone said to me uh, in a kind of talking about art and what do you do with it someone said the difference between art and design uh, this was a teacher uh, that said this is if you do art you can set your own brief and you can do what you want uh, if you do design, then someone else tells you what to do and you have to do their brief. Uh, and ultimately, if they don't like what you do, you know, you have to change it to make it look like what they like. So, like, as a 15-year-old, slightly rebellious kid, I was like, well, fuck that. I don't want, to, <laughs> don't want someone else telling me what to do. And that's, that's obviously, like, a very oversimplified description of the difference between art and design. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot more crossover than that. But, but at the time, I thought, well... You know, prefer the prefer the idea of doing doing what I want really, and just making stuff that. And I had ideas. I was kind of interested in stuff, and I used to like sculpture and kind of making physical objects and things like that. Uh, my dad was a welder uh, and panel beater, so there was always loads of tools uh, in the house, and there was always bits of scraps of metal and stuff like that. So I used to often like just make stuff, just make stuff. Mm. Out of it. I remember once making. Uh, this was probably for college I'm not sure but I made like a bust of Eric Cantona's head out of bits of scrap bits of wood and metal that I found in my dad's shed uh, and it was like in a Picasso style so it was all broken up pieces that kind of fit together and from one angle it looked like nothing and you turned it around and it looked like Cantona's head and uh, it was ace it was really good I don't know where it's ended up now it's probably still in my dad's shed but uh but yeah, so how, again, how did your parents respond to that? Did they uh, were they were they, did they kind of see that as something that, that a kid would just do, or did they kind of go, "That's cool, like do more"? Yeah, or? they were up for it. Yeah, they were kind of like, even though we lived in an area that was, I suppose, looking back, um, quite deprived and things. That the one thing we always had at home was encouragement, and they always, my mum and dad always were keen that we 
did what we wanted to do and that we were happy mm. and that we did stuff we enjoyed. And so, and also, my dad is quite creative as well. He, he liked to draw and stuff and make stuff. Uh, and he always worked with his hands, so he's very kind of mm. hands-on with things. Uh, and he's a big DIYer and everything. So, so him, to the idea to him of me making stuff with my hands and, and doing art and painting and drawing wasn't that weird in a way. Even though, like, within our estate where we lived there was probably very few kids doing it mm. within our house it wasn't that weird it wasn't that unusual yeah uh, and it was encouraged really it was encouraged to um to do what we wanted really if i wanted to make stuff if i wanted to be an artist then they mm. very much encouraged me to pursue that but yeah so did uh did our a level uh, and uh so yeah went after school i went to college and i did uh, fine art A level, and I did psychology and English literature just purely because they were things I was interested in. Um, I mean, mum and dad always said, just choose what you're interested in, just choose what you what you like doing, because you're going to be, you know, this is going to lead to work, which you can do for the rest of your life. So make sure it's something that you're into, mm-hmm. which was good advice, I think. But but then I chose those three subjects, and I wasn't prepared for how much work was involved with the other two, with the psychology and English one. Um, and to be honest, I was stoned most of the time. Yeah. So I didn't get anything done in that first year of my levels. So I ended up jibbing it off that first year and then starting at a different college the next year. And then I did um, art, photography and graphic design. And I did, I finished those A-levels and I, did, I was there for two years. And the difference was, I think, that the teachers were much better there and they were more kind of encouraging and more bit more forgiving of like a group of kids that were you know a bit wayward perhaps and mm. and uh, you know they were just much more understanding of us coming in after lunch stoned out of our brains and 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 they let us whereas at the first college they were a bit stricter that was in Marple it's called the Ridge in Marple and they were a bit stricter and they didn't really like the kids that were messing about the the kids they like right at the start of that course they picked the kids that they thought had the best chance uh, and they you know championed them and the other kids that didn't fit into that they didn't kind of really bother with us so which I'm not saying it was their fault we, we were just messing about the whole time so but yeah the next college in North Area was called in Stockport they were just really good they were really encouraging and really understanding and and uh, so anyway finished those uh, A-levels and then the next thing was go to university you know do a fine art degree but so I did it. I did a foundation course for a, a year or nearly a year, and then I dropped out toward the end of it, partly just because I was skin. I was just bored of being skin. And before you start your um, degree, you don't get your kind of maintenance uh, loan and all that sort of stuff. So for that year, doing this foundation course, um, I didn't have any money, and I was just bored of being skin. It was a really cool course in a way. You just got to try out loads of different things. Mm. So you got to try out metal work and. Uh, oil painting and um, spatial uh, art stuff like experiential stuff and just so really cool stuff in a way um, if you threw yourself into it um, you just, you're just encouraged to try a bit of everything for a year but um, yeah I was just bored of having no money and I had mates that had not gone to college and uni that were that had jobs that were out every weekend drinking and having a good time and uh, so I, I, I just quit it and got a job mm. um, so I got I got a job in, I was working in a call centre, um, selling tickets uh, called Ticketmaster. Well, it's called Ticketmaster now. It was called Tickets Direct at the time. And it was, it was fun. I was earning money uh, and it was, there was a good little bit of banter in the place. Mm. Um, there was a nice group of people working there, so I stayed there for a bit. And then I got a sales job. 
I was always a bit a bit cocky and stuff and a bit cheeky. So I was always drawn to kind of the, the telesales type jobs. Um, so I got one of them. And then I ended up doing that for a bit. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, it was basically selling advertising space in community magazines and stuff. Mm. Like the kind of thing that you get in the door, like community index sort of thing, which has got local listings of events and things and interviews by local people or whatever. And it's also got a load of adverts in so we were selling advertising space in those type of publications on the phone to businesses. And it was a dead simple business model, but it worked pretty well. You know, it made decent money. Uh, and I was quite good at it, I think, on the phone. So I, I was getting good sales commission. So I ended up staying there for about a year. And the idea was to always go back to university and um, do a degree, fine art degree, or, well, yeah, fine art was still a thinking at the time. But um, just got used to working and having money, really. and and uh, ended up thinking, oh, I'll do it next year, I'll do it next year. And and then after I did this sales job for about a year, because I'd done a bit of the, the publications that they made, were they always did well, they always saw loads of advertising in them, um, and they got a decent um, kind of readership and everything, but they were crap, like the quality of them was really, they were made really cheaply. Um, they were just full of like clip art and really kind of basic illustrations and really shoddily put together. So because I'd done a bit of design and stuff, um, I thought I could, I could make these better quality publications um, and to use the same business model, sell them in the same way, but actually make a decent job of them. So I started my own company at 21 uh, doing that. And uh, I basically, I took a few days off, I think, from this sales job and like just hit the phone in my bedroom, yeah. uh, trying to book some sales for the new company. Started a new company and everything, that was all new. Uh, got a company bank account and a card and everything and then it went really well straight away I got loads of money in and <laughs> felt like a big shot and thought hey, <laughs> this is fucking mint um, so then I just kind of carried on doing that I left that company after a few weeks of part time um, and then just did my own thing then eventually well not even eventually quite quickly took on uh, two or three people to help and then got a few mm. more people in and within a year there was about 15 of us in an office in Stockport and in wow. an mail. Um, and we were just selling advertising space in these in these kind of magazines uh, but they were they were decent quality we did actually try and make them good we got um, Nick Hamilton Hamo uh, to come in and do some illustrations for them so and the so they actually looked really nice you know they were, they were decent yeah. quality things um, and uh, so yeah I carried on doing that it, it was it made good money and uh, it was it was easy so what, what, I've, just to remember, what I find really interesting and I love them stories about where you find a real unexpected kind of segue in your journey like you said you know <coughs> so a lot of, I think a lot of students coming out of uni today in particular don't work part time uh, maybe I'm generalising but let's, let's just say for example they don't yeah. and then it feels like a, a massive failure or the end of something if they have to go and get a job in, in sales or something yeah. like that yeah. well it's absolutely not because in all walks of life, you can just find them little triggers that you need just to kind of give you an idea or whatever, and that's, yeah. that's a really great one, I think. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I didn't, you know, even though there was, a lot of my mates didn't go to university and, and, and all that sort of stuff, get degrees, so I didn't really feel a massive pressure to or an obligation to, uh, but there was expectation at home. We, I've got a brother and two sisters, and they'd all gone to university and done degrees, and I was the only one that didn't, so I did feel like I should go back at some point and do mm -hmm. it. Uh, but, you know, at like 21, 22, I was earning like more money than I'd ever seen before. Um, and uh, it was great. I was going out, you know, most nights after work and 
Um, I managed to buy a house at like 23, I think. Um, and then it was a massive renovation project, fixed it all up, made it look dead nice. Um, had a big two-chamber cellar in this house in Heaton Norris in Stockport, so converted it into a bar. There was like a proper stainless steel bar with optics on the wall. <laughs> there was a last orders bell. There was ceiling speakers, underfloor heating, uh, like hand-cut slate tiles on the floor. It was it was fucking mint. Like I threw a load of money at it, and uh, it was it was great. And I was like 24, I think, when it was finished, or 25. And I just had this really cool house. Had a job that was easy, was making good money, yeah. um, and so it was. So I just stuck with it. I just carried on doing it. Uh, and think I think I was twenty eight uh, when I kind of the economy collapsed in two thousand and eight, mm. uh, and then when that happened, it just became much harder to um, make a living out of it. It was, it was still making money, the company, but it, it wasn't making as much, and we had to let quite a few people go because we'd gone up to about thirty staff, I think, at that point. Uh, and some of them were older people with mortgages and kids. And when in two thousand eight, when the economy collapsed, we had to let quite a few of them go, uh, and that was tough. And we had to downsize a bit, and um, and then it kind of just made me think, why am I still doing this? You know, is this what I want to be doing for the next whatever thirty, forty years? Um, and the answer was no, really. So, so I kind of just reassessed um, the situation and thought, you know, what do I want to be doing? Um, and decided to start again so closed the company started looking at courses for for things to do Uh, I still had this kind of idea that I ought to get a degree at some point so I went back to college and uh, I did like a two-year foundation degree um, which was when I first was at university doing the foundation year I don't think that was an option I hadn't heard of it as an option but um, you had to do a year foundation course where you try lots of different things and then you specialise in a three-year degree. So it was four years. But the next time, when I was like 29 looking at courses, um, there was this foundation degree that was apparently the two, the first two years of a degree. Um, so but without having to do the other year. So I thought, oh, I'll do, do that, that seems decent. And I fancied animation. And I'd never done it before. Mm. I'd, done, uh, I'd done drawing and done a bit of illustration, uh, but I'd never, I'd never really used... Photoshop, never mind like After Effects or Cinema 4D or anything like that. Um, so everything that I'd done creative-wise had been been hand-done, been like making stuff or painting or drawing. Mm. So even though I kind of, uh, I don't know, I thought I was all right at, at art and stuff, I didn't have any experience at all doing that. So I just started again doing doing a two-year course and, and it was good, really enjoyed it. It was at the Manchester College and... Uh, I was like 10 years older than all the other kids there, so I was like the dweeb in the class that's <laughs> like taking notes and asking for homework and all that stuff. And uh, But it was good, really enjoyed it, learned a bit. And then uh, at the end of that, I did. At the end of that course, you were supposed to kind of have a qualification that you could then go out and try and get work and have a bit of a portfolio off the back of it, which I kind of had both of those things, but I still felt... Uh, like I didn't really have a proper portfolio of work that was yeah. that good um, and uh, you, it was then an option to do a third year kind of top up year they call it of, of a degree so I did that I thought you know but during this these three years like when I was 29 and starting on the animation course my missus was expecting uh, we'd moved in together at this point and moved out of like the bachelor pad with the bar in the cellar and moved in <laughs> with the missus and uh, and so and she was expecting a baby 
um, and we decided to sell her house and buy a new one. So, so kind of during that three years, we had two children. Uh, then we had, we had two in the space of two years, and then we we done like a massive renovation on this new house in Jordan. So like, it was a bit looking back, it was a mad three years. Uh, it was there was loads going on, and it was really intense. But just kind of get on with it at the time, don't you? And just sort of get through it. But but looking back, it was it was absolutely bonkers. But yeah, so then did so we I was the first um intake in the new Salford University in Media City, the new campus there. Oh, yeah. Um and uh so me and this other like group of uh, about thirty kids were were the first kind of group that were there. Which was good and bad in a way. There was there was a lot made of its kind of links with industry. Like the the tutors were saying like the BBC are next door, ITV are there, so like there's gonna be loads of work opportunities. But really there was very little of that, unless you really took it upon yourself to go and yeah. go and knock, and which I did do a little bit because I was quite keen and proactive at that time. Um, but you know, getting to see the right person was difficult, and yeah. and also you know they get contacted by students loads, and the fact that you're nearby doesn't make that much difference really. No, they just want to see your portfolio of work, and if that's appropriate or interesting to them, then they'll arrange a meeting. But but no, I think it was good doing it as a grown up. Because my first experience of college, I just wasn't really interested, wasn't really that motivated, mm. we just messed about really. Um, and the second time doing it as a grown-up uh, was totally the opposite, you know, I was really keen, uh, I was paying the fees myself and everything, yeah. so like that no, made a difference. You've got to ask your own initiative for a reason, not that you, not, I'm not saying you did it the first time around, but just looking back on my own path, it's just like... Sometimes you do it because it's the path that everyone else is doing it, or you feel yeah. like you're what you should do. But actually, when you go out and live life a little bit, and and like you said about what happened with your previous business and stuff, and a change in direction in that respect, those are the things that kind of make you go right. Now I'm going and doing this, and I'm doing it because I know what I want, or yeah. I at least know that I need a change. You know, yeah, that's absolutely. a great motivation, isn't it? So yeah, definitely, definitely, and it helps to have given it some thought beforehand. And it's not that you don't think about it when you're fifteen, sixteen, but. Mm. You think about it in a different way, I think. You think about like the next... Like When I was looking at courses as a 29-year-old, I was thinking, like, what do I want to do for a job for the next 34 years? And also, what are my skills and what, what could I bring and what, what are the kind of opportunities in the, in the marketplace? Like, at the time, video was kind of taking off. There was loads of people um, were having brand films made and kind of animated explainer videos made, infographic videos for... for brands and companies and so but video still was nowhere near where it is now in terms of like Instagram Facebook mm-hmm. videos everywhere now isn't it but it was a thing that I could see was on the up so even though I'd not really done any motion design or animation I thought it's probably a good way to go and as a 15 16 17 year old you just don't really have that kind of insight or ideas you just sort of progress on to college and uni because it's what everyone does and mm-hmm. you're not really sure what else to do um, but yeah, so it was good. It was good going back a, as a grown up, yeah. And then when I came out of that, I was really keen and like had a decent portfolio, I think, decent student portfolio. And uh, was proactive, went to lots of kind of networking things and introduced myself to lots of people. And it's a bit weird because I was like a new graduate at 32. Uh, and I was like introducing myself to looking at like internship opportunities and, and, uh, you know, placements at, at agencies uh, as a 32-year-old. Mm. Um, 
and they sometimes like I'd, I'd arrange over emails a meeting and then I'd turn up and then you could do my visibly <laughs> that yeah. like I had like a beard with white hairs in <laughs> but, but, but it was but everyone was friendly like no one yeah. sort of there wasn't a problem about it at all mm-hmm. everyone was dead good uh, and dead friendly and I did like a, a short internship at uh, a PR uh, sort of design uh, agency called MC2 yeah. in Manchester who are pretty good they do some good stuff and uh, so I did like a short internship there just after I graduated and that led to regular bits of freelance with them and uh, and then I had other bits of freelance from elsewhere from a couple of recruitment companies and then did that for about a year and I kind of had enough work but I was looking for full time stuff at the same time there wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't really enough it was kind of just about enough to to, to, to keep the bills paid and keep food on the table and everything but but then uh, after about a year freelancing an opportunity came up uh, for an agency in the world through a recruitment company um, and uh, it was a bit of a hike it was like 55 minutes like a nearly two hour round trip um, but uh, the it was a full time job doing motion graphics and that's what I wanted and I'd not been able to find that in Manchester so uh, I took it and it was good. It was a bit of a weird little agency that had kind of one. It was in like a residential street in in a in a place called Prenton in the Wirral, which is there's not really anything there. You know, like the Prenton Parks there, John Mayer Rovers Ground, and that's it. That there's not really anything else there to, to yeah. speak of. Um, but this agency was like, it was like you know you get those kind of uh, doctor's surgeries that are like an old house converted into yeah. doctors. So I felt like that. You're going in. And the waiting room was like the front room uh, and so you'd be sat there like in the front room waiting to see someone and then where I was working in the design bit was clearly a bedroom that had been converted into like a little studio yeah and so it was an odd little studio it was an odd little place to work but uh, and also they had like one main client that was a very corporate client uh, it was a huge it was, it was Shell it was like a massive corporation and uh, all like 95% of their work was for this one client so, you know, the font was always the same, the colours were always the same. So, and they weren't that keen on creative solutions. They just wanted the standard sort of stuff. Um, and the boss wasn't, to be honest, that, he was a business guy. He wasn't really that bothered about creativity and innovation. So he was a nice enough fella, but, so he would kind of, but the team were, were cool. The design team was really nice, a group of lads, and we all got on dead well, there was four of us. Um, so there was there was a, there was a good bit of banter in the in the room, and we were all dead into like good design and good illustration and motion work and everything. So we would regularly look at cool stuff and show each other yeah. things we'd seen or be working on our own personal projects and things. So in a way, it was a cool place to work because of the design team, but the actual day to day work was was pretty dull and mm. not not overly challenging. But but it was my first kind of full time motion job. Uh, and I learned a lot, I think, in that time. Uh, you know, I got much better at um, animating and After Effects and, and uh, video editing as well a bit. And and uh, just doing agency work, you know, just doing day-to-day kind of work in an agency. Yeah. So it was good. I don't regret it. It was a good couple of years. And then I got made redundant from there. Um, so the, I think they there was some restructuring going on at Shell and they were worried about losing a load of work and having big overheads and things so uh, a few of us got made redundant I think there was three of us um, that got called and uh, so at the time I was it had kind of come at a point where I'd already started thinking I need to move on I need to find somewhere 
more local. I felt like I'd got better as a motion designer and animator, and I felt like you know I had built up a bit of a better portfolio of work as well with some of their work and some personal projects. So I'd already started looking for a couple of other things, and to be honest, I'd been for a couple of interviews. Um, but then I got made redundant and it just became, you know, I better do it now. Mm-hmm. So it got me put showreel up to date, got me sight uh, looking okay. And uh, started like emailing agencies again and stuff and trying to get, get freelance mm-hmm. work. And this time around, um, maybe because the work was a bit better, um, maybe because I was a bit more confident, I'm sure, um, it went much better. And uh, I, in the last year that I'd freelanced I had just about enough work but there was long spells when I didn't have anything uh, but this time I was pretty busy uh, and I was going into some good agencies went into the neighbourhood in Manchester and Music and MC2 BJL went into lots of um, the big agencies doing motion design work and it was cool I was always busy I was able to charge a bit more mm. um, so I was earning decent money and uh, it was good I really enjoyed it it was good going in to different places and working in different teams, working for different clients on different kind of projects. Yeah. Um, so it was good. I did that for, not sure. But that give you a good sense of the kind of, well, the, I don't say the scene, but the kind of how it, how it worked among, you know, the differences between agencies and the kind of different, I guess the different extremes of it all. Yeah, it definitely did, yeah. Because the first time that I've been freelance, I'd, I'd only really done a few bits of a couple of agencies. Um, so I kind of got to see what they were like and what, what the vibe was like in there, uh, but not that many. Uh, and I had the studio at Islington Mill, I'd got a little studio which I used to do some bits there. Uh, but So that was cool, that was a cool place. But but yeah, I didn't really get to work with lots of different people or meet lots of people. But the second time of freelancing, that kind of year or year and a half, whatever it was, um, was really good. And I met lots of different people, worked in lots of different agencies. And yeah, you do you kind of absorb the culture when you go into all these different places and mm-hmm. kind of you you I think it's a really good grounding freelancing for starting your own agency because you get to see the different way of working and different yeah. kind of vibe in different studios and you get to kind of think in different places well that that works really well there I like the way they do that I like what they do there and you get to kind of cherry pick the best bits uh, and try and incorporate them into your own thing um, so it was kind of, it was really good. And also, I didn't really have a very big network of uh, contacts in Manchester because I'd been in the Wirral for a couple of years mm. um, and not been doing it that long. So it was a really good way of meeting lots of new designers and agencies and people. Um, so yeah, it was great. It was it was a really good spell. Um, and then started Flow and been doing that since. Yeah. Was that, was that such a sort of a natural progression? Is it, is it was it... <coughs> Sounds like you've been quite responsive throughout. Like you've always been open to to know, you know, change when it's needed or respond to things that put in front of you. Like, it was what what were? I mean, did you go right? Was there a day when you went on certain agency? Or was it just a, a kind of organic thing? Yeah, I think it was pretty organic to be honest. It was kind of a gradual uh, progression. I think partly um, it was born out of some frustrations with freelancing. Um, that freelancing, that second period of freelancing was great and. Uh, I was earning decent money, I was meeting lots of cool people, um, but really, um, I was only, you're, you're basically a hired hand as a freelancer, especially I think with motion graphics. Um, usually you're called in when the deadlines are looming, there's there's a lot of work to get through in a short space of time, mm-hmm. so you've got to do long hours, um, you've got to work hard, you've got to be flexible, you've got to be um, pretty good at the software and good at being able to adapt to different types of projects. 
Um, so it was a real kind of um, test of my kind of skills as a motion designer and also kind of personal skills, meeting different people and things. But I think I did okay with that. But the fact that I had a young family now um, and I wanted to sort of spend a bit more time with them when they were little um, and I didn't want to be doing, you know, it's really hard to turn work away when you freelance because especially because I had a period where there was long spells where I didn't have any work. I yeah. was always frightened of that coming back. So even if I was busy for a few weeks or even a few months, uh, if I got offered work, I found it really hard to turn it down. So actually in that time when I was freelancing, um, in Manchester, I probably saw the kids less than I had for the previous two years yeah. when I was working in the Wirral with a big commute because that was pretty much a nine till five. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was home by six o'clock. But so that was the biggest frustration, like the the long hours and, and not seeing the kids much, and the lack of, I suppose, the lack of control over the kind of jobs you do as well, and the kind of work you do, and um, you just take what you're given basically. Um, so I thought with flow, the idea was to try and, I suppose, be a bit more in control of my own hours and my own sort of work life balance and time with the kids and stuff, but also the kind of projects that we took on and the kind of work that we did. And I thought it would be it'd be easier to kind of steer it in a direction that I wanted it to go as a as a separate entity to mm-hmm. me. Um, so like as a freelancer, like trading as Carl Doran, then you know you just you just get what you're given. Really, you've not really got much autonomy or much kind of control over the work you do. But as an agency, just giving it a name and giving it a brand and setting up the website in the way you want and things, you, you can kind of define what it is better mm. uh, and you can kind of define what work you want to do better and the kind of clients you want to work with yeah so it was an opportunity to kind of be, have a bit more control over the work we did also be a bit more ambitious as well like be be involved with bigger projects and have ownership yeah. of those projects because as freelancer as well you go in and you kind of uh, you're often called in when the concepts have been done Often there's a rough storyboard. Well, yeah, you're just a piece, aren't you? You're a piece of a puzzle. It's like, and that yeah. can be a great thing, especially just, but yeah. just, you know, I'm doing it a little bit like myself, and then collaborating with more people, and we've, we've done exactly what you said there. We've, we've separated it, we've given it its own brand, we've gone like that. And it is quite a, quite a liberating experience. I likened it to somebody recently uh, to sort of create a pseudonym as a musician. You know, like yeah. if I were doing a seat as Ziggy Stardust, yeah, yeah. all of a sudden you've got this new playground and you, and it doesn't matter almost. You're almost invincible as, as what you were. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly that. It's like, you know, you, you kind of, you're rebranding basically and redefining what what you do for work. And, and also, you you know, you, you're able to attract bigger work and bigger jobs and things and you can pitch for work that you couldn't as a freelancer. Uh, and then if you get work, you can call in, um, help if you need it. Um, so I didn't really start flow with the, the kind of idea of growing it to a massive thing and, and taking over the world. It was really just to have a bit more control and a bit more autonomy of, of the kind of work that we did. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, like any designer uh, setting up your own thing and branding it and things, it's like a creative challenge, isn't it, as well? Yeah. It's like, you, you know, you come up with a logo and you come up with like your colour scheme and you, you know, you, you set up the website and you kind of think about your brand proposition about what it is that defines you as a as an agency and what you mm. and so all that kind of stuff that we do for clients as designers um, you can do for yourself if you set up yeah. an agency so that was quite appealing as well to be able to kind of set up this thing and brand it and define it and, and make it 
make basically to make the kind of agency that I wanted to work for, that I wanted to work at, and that I wanted to kind of be involved with. So, so yeah, it was good. But yeah, it's gone really well since. Yeah. Um, what did, so what did you, how many people are working with you now? <coughs> so there's six of us, uh, but three of those are part-time. So we've got, we've got six all together, uh, but there's only three full-time in the studio. Yeah. But there's usually, there's usually kind of four or five, depending on when those other guys are in or when we've got freelancers in. So it's usually pretty busy in there. But I'm quite kind of wary of growing too fast as an agency, because I keep seeing, especially lately, um, agencies closing and kind of um, going busts and, and going into administration and stuff and and so I'm, I'm very kind of wary of growing too quickly mm-hmm. um, so and also that's not really what it's about for me it's about like flow since it started has, has been a big collaborator you know we've worked with lots of freelance illustrators and animators motion designers um, art directors and I think that's kind of part of what I wanted to do with Flow. I think that there's the kind of big... I keep reading things about the kind of big agency model um, is a bit defunct and and kind of people are... Big brands are more and more trusting smaller agencies with big projects. And and you see that all the time with with lots of really cool agencies that aren't that big doing really big uh, high-profile jobs for big clients. And I think that that's kind of where I want Flow to to be, really, because we... I don't really want to grow it to a point where there's like 30 or 40 of us and then the idea, the creative idea gets diluted along the way somewhere. And sometimes at some of the bigger agencies that I've worked with, that's, that is evident that there's, there's too many account managers and too many yeah. art directors, creative directors, there's too many people involved with the process that the idea gets diluted too much, yeah. that the client is no longer getting the best creative solution. Um, and and they're paying like five times what they would pay at a small agency because of these massive overheads yeah so for us it's about doing using the core set of skills that we've got and we've got a decent set of skills in-house but also bringing in freelancers when we need to and bringing in other skills that we don't have and then you're able to offer at a reasonable rate a really good quality solution to clients And, and we've done you know in the year and a half we've been going we've done some some big projects for some high profile names uh, and so I don't think you know we're not it's not just us there's loads of agencies doing it there are smaller agencies doing uh, doing really big projects and so I think that's the future really to be honest I think these big agencies are eventually all kind of downsize a little bit when the well, this is the thing when you're just chasing the next biggest job to, to kind of keep the the wage bill in check and the, and the swanky offices I think somewhere along the way you're going to lose that create soul a little bit and you're going to start chasing stuff for the wrong reasons and kind of compromising where you might otherwise challenge a creative idea because you think it can be better you know it's like yeah. I think a lot of things a lot of uh, <coughs> integrity creative integrity can go out of the window a little bit and, and, and you know I don't, I'm sure they don't, they don't mean to do that but I, I know what you mean about giant agencies and just too many cooks and all that kind yeah, of stuff yeah definitely yeah I just think it's it's a bit of an outdated model and I think that it's going back to like Mad Men time isn't it when like yeah. um, you know these big these big clients uh, to win a big account you have to be a big cool agency mm. um, and I just don't think that's the case anymore to win like a big account now you you can be just doing it in your bedroom you know you can definitely just... I think the results speak for themselves then, mm. and then people believe in what you're about then it's not, it's not about size anymore or stature yeah definitely and also when I was freelancing as well as a motion designer I'd go into big agencies sometimes and there'd been a little bit of concept stuff done but not very much 
and it was big name clients and they'd give it to me and go can you just sort this out and I'd be like well what's the what's the brief what's the idea you know what's yeah and and there really hadn't been much done on it because they kind of have such a churn of work and such a high turnover of kind of staff freelance staff and also just amount of work they've got to get through that some big jobs for big clients just kind of slip through yeah uh, and so I'd be given work that was for names like national brands that you know that are household names um, and it was for um TV adverts sometimes that just not a lot of advert, not a lot of uh, thought had been given to them. Mm. So I'd I'd come up with concepts and do style frames and kind of storyboards and say, is this what you want? And then they'd like go to the client and go, yeah, that's cool. And then I do it on my own. So I basically did the whole project yeah. uh, from kind of concepts through to storyboard into animation uh, through to delivery of the final thing yeah. uh, on my own, but in house at a big agency as part mm-hmm. of like, their team. So I can actually think. Like I'm billing them a couple of grand for, for a couple of weeks work. Like how much are they billing the client for this? Yeah. But it's not always about the, the billing, but I did think like Yeah. This is crazy. Well it makes you value your own stuff a little bit more, I guess. I mean how how that being said, I guess you work I mean, how do you work with your own staff now then in that respect? Yeah, I'm guessing you give them a good creative license and you encourage them to think in the way you just described. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I flow like yeah, it's kind of you know, and a lot of agencies do this. I've worked at some agencies where it is um, everyone's opinion is valid and everyone can contribute and things. They tend to be the smaller agencies. The bigger ones um, tend to have kind of interns and stuff on the go constantly, but they're not really giving them much kind of creative work to do or much kind of interesting work or responsibility. Um, but at Flow, yeah, it's kind of because it's small and because we're, we're a small team and we every job that comes in we just talk about together you know we sit around the table and everyone just Brilliant. throws ideas in and uh, we get freelancers in to help with stuff um, when we need to um, and they you know their opinion is as valid as everyone else's you know they're not just a hired hand come to like just do that get it done they kind of can contribute ideas as well and, yeah people um, like that but I think people feel more not just more involved but more uh, like a, a part of it don't they people I think people like that respect that you get from um I think people want to work that bit out for you as well because you know it, it just, it, there's a nice mutual balance. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's not a hierarchy. Well, obviously there is, but but only on, on your paper really, and in, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, like uh, no, I had a nice one about like uh, like a celebrity, and you know, like you do you do get some agencies where I don't know where the people at the top kind of you know swan in halfway through the day and kind of like just look at the the work that everyone else has been doing and kind of just dismiss a few ideas off the bat and then some of the other ones are like yeah that's okay we'll go with that and kind of it's just not it's just not the best way of doing it you know it's just not effective and it's just not the best way of getting good creative work so so no with Flow I very much wanted it to be an open kind of uh, collaborative environment and, and kind of everyone that's working with us whether they're freelancers or whether we've got an intern in whether it's a junior designer everyone can talk about it everyone can contribute ideas and yeah, that's very much how we like to work. Yeah, so it must have felt good winning the awards recently. Yeah, it was ace, yeah. And that was the, the drum, drum awards? <coughs> yeah, <coughs> yeah, the daddies. Um, <laughs> so, it, which stands for the Drum Awards for the Digital Industries. Um, which, to be honest, like before Flow, I, I didn't really know a lot about awards and it wasn't really, wasn't really something that... Uh, it wasn't really something that was on my radar that I knew anything about really as a freelancer or um, at the last agency I worked at but 
But when I started Flow, I think we were a few months in, and I spoke to a mate, uh, Sam Jones, who runs, he's the MD of Tuna Fish Media. Oh, yeah, that's um, And they're doing some really good stuff. He, he's a great lad, and they're doing some, some really good work. They're doing, they're doing good. Um, so I had a bit of a chat with him just for a bit of advice, really, because Flow was new. Uh, they'd been doing it about five years at the time, six years, and they seemed to be doing really well. And one thing that he recommended was awards. He said it really helped them in their first couple of years to get the name out there, raise the profile of the company, uh, and just to let people know who they are and what work they're doing. Um, so he, he, re- he recommended submitting some work to a couple of awards. So, and it's not something I'd given any thought to whatsoever before that. But then we just done a really nice job with uh, Arts Council England, um, which uh, had gone really well. It was a really nice looking piece of work. And uh, so we entered that into a few awards and we ended up winning a few this year. We won four Big Chip Awards, which was mega. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> it, was, uh, it was great. It was like a glitzy awards ceremony. And uh, it was just really nice to hear the judges' feedback on the work that you've done. Awesome. What was the project you won for? Uh, Arts Council England was the client. And the project was, it was basically their funding process communications um, so it's like a really boring name for the job but so every kind of three four years they invite organisations to apply for funding and at that time they put out a lot of communications about it whether it's on social or they put an animated video out explaining how to apply for funding they right. do really complex kind of um, guidance documents um, which have got to be interactive that they can download off the site and so there's loads of communications that they put out uh, for it uh, and they asked us because they're next door they invited us to pitch for the work. Mm. Uh, and really at the time, we'd only been going a couple of months. And uh, it was because of the windows. We got, we got, when we moved in to the studio, there was someone else's branding up on the windows, the previous tenant. And it was a, a sports, sports massage place. And, uh, and I don't know anything about sports massage. You know, I'm used to say. So I thought, we're going to have to take that down and put our own branding up. So we took them off. Uh, and put these vinyl stickers on the window that we got Barney Ibbotson to come in and illustrate and it's based on the kind of process that we go through with a client so there's that the concept stage at the start and then meetings and then feedback and, and it's about the kind of process that we go with uh, through a job and uh, they're colourful and they look ace Barney's done a superb job with them and they they kind of put us on the map I think a little bit and people started getting in touch when they walked past and saw it mm. and one of the people a couple of the people from the Arts Council because they're in the building next door were outside having a cheeky smoke one day and they saw these um, new stickers on our windows uh, and so they got in touch it was literally a week after they'd been put up uh, to say do you want a pitch for this job it's, it's quite a big job and we were brand new and I kind of thought picture it but if we win it I don't know how we're going to do it to be honest <laughs> but um so we got uh Jane Bowyer in uh to help with the kind of concepts and illustrations and kind of uh, art direction for it and she did a, a beautiful job with it she did a really good job and uh we worked and so we went in Jane came with me to the pitch I think and uh we did the uh we pitched for it and we won we won the work mm-hmm. I don't know who we were up against but I imagine it was agencies that had been going a lot longer and were probably quite a bit bigger but um, we won it which was amazing and then it was like right shit how do we do it um, so Jane came in and did um, a lot of the illustration work and everything for it and we got some other people to come and help with the animation because that was quite a big job and I, me and Jordan who's a, our motion designer did quite a bit of it but yeah it ended up being a really nice job everything that 
every bit of it turned out really nicely the client was really pleased mm. so yeah we won four uh, big chip awards and people like Malcolm Garrett uh, were the, on the chair of judges for these awards fantastic and it was amazing to hear like someone like that saying that, that it was a beautiful project and it was really nicely yeah, yeah, realised yeah. and so it was great it was a real kind of confidence boost and sort of seal of approval that we were yeah. doing it's always nice stuff. always nice isn't it yeah, yeah. congrats yeah. no it's fantastic it's uh, like you say it's just a, it's a nice it's a nice buzz and like you say you, know, you worked hard to get there taking a long road to do it and uh, you know what a great validation to, to hear that from you know people with way more experience than ourselves that's, yeah that's fantastic. Definitely. definitely yeah but yeah and then last week we won daddy's which was like a different one uh, but that was for because we've done a real a range of work we entered into a couple of kind of agency of the year uh, ones because we'd had 2017 has been a pretty pretty good year for us uh, at the end of 2016 so we kind of but I really didn't think we had a chance of winning I thought we're going to be up against some real big boys and girls um, but uh, we ended up winning that last week as well in a, like a, a fancy uh, ceremony in London and uh, so that was just nuts really and loads of people have got in touch off the back of that saying uh, well done and things which is nice it's it's such a supportive industry. I think so many people have been in touch yeah. just saying nice things. And, and it's good because there is a bit of a... I don't know, I think sometimes people have a bit of a mixed view of awards that people seem to think that it's who you know and stuff and mm. it's if you know someone on the judging panel and everything. No. But I think we're proof that that's not the case because we didn't know anyone. We're a brand new agency. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that many people personally. Uh, not many people had dealt with us as an agency. So I think we're kind of proof that, you know, you can you can start out not really knowing anyone and just do some decent work and win these yeah. things. Absolutely, absolutely, definitely. Yeah, well, massive congrats on it. Cheers. Yeah, well, uh, well last question um, I ask everyone called Shark in the Tank, and I ask for a love and a hate loosely thing within creativity. It's a wide open question, so, yeah. <laughs> so, <clears throat> something that I love and something that I hate. Yeah, so it's going to be as lateral as you want or as silly as you want or as serious as you want. Yeah, it's just very loosely within creativity. Okay, okay. Uh, well, stuff that I love and love to look at uh, is kind of character design and um, character-based illustration and animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've not done that much of that yet for Flow, which is something I'd like to do a bit more of. Um, but yeah, like uh, I went a few years ago, I went to the Pictoplasma Festival uh, in Berlin and just absolutely loved it. was blown mm-hmm. away. Uh, and came back just with a head full of ideas and inspiration and and then off the back of that did quite a few paintings and drawings and stuff character stuff that I'd not really done um, for a while but yeah I love all their stuff every uh, every speaker that they have is ace um, all the work that they show is superb so so that's kind of something that I love is kind of character design and character animation mm. uh, something that I hate uh, I'd say egos to be honest yeah. I think I've worked at a few worked a few agencies where there's just a lot of big egos floating about and uh, it just doesn't help it never helps the creative process it doesn't help uh, people start out in the industry it doesn't help people with less experience get better if anything it makes people scared to put ideas forward it's a very destructive thing I agree Yeah, I think so I think uh, and it's just not nice to be around either no it just doesn't help I mean as well like it's not very, it's not very nice it doesn't create for a good environment but in terms of you know the success of your agency it doesn't help that you no. know so if you're swanning about with a big ego uh, acting like you missed the big stuff um, that's 
going to be detrimental to the agency where you work or if yeah. it's your agency that you run or if it's just somewhere that you work it's not going to help um, so just just knock it on the head but I think uh, most people you know I've said before most people I think are, are really cool and it's it's a really nice industry to work in that's yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the reason we're here today, isn't it? You know, just, just mutual appreciation of what we're doing on Twitter and all that kind of stuff, and then you end up in the same city, and that, that's what happens. And it is, I do love that about our industry. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's quite particular as well to this industry. I don't reckon, like, accountants would look at each other's work <laughs> and go, oh, some fucking yeah. cracking numbers. Yeah, there. see you around for a bit. Yeah, like, 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 quit my surgery, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you get together for a bit. Talk about, like, numbers and that's stuff. very true actually I think we're quite lucky in that respect yeah but in, in a way like it's a difficult industry to be in because it's very uh, it's very open isn't it everything you do is very public you know yeah. everyone can see it yeah. but if you can get past that which is difficult but if you can get past that kind of fear of failure uh, thing and that imposter syndrome thing which we all have to some degree yeah um, then it's it's really rewarding and you get to meet cool people I mean just in the last few years since freelancing and running fly I've met so many ace people that yeah. that are now mates that you know that yeah. work in this industry so yeah it's good yeah exciting times ahead then brilliant yeah. nice and uh, last word where people check out your work uh, Flow uh, we've just updated the website actually so have a look at the new site it's weareflow.uk no co just .uk nice um, because you, to co uk was taken by like a drainage company or something so, <laughs> brilliant so yeah but yeah uh, we are flow.uk uh, and I think we are flow design on twitter or, super but yeah check I'll us out I'll the show notes brilliant we'll chase your time mate. no worries thanks very much nice one Thank you so much to Carl for taking the time to talk to me during a busy schedule of award-winning work. They're doing fantastic stuff, so go and have a look at their work. Uh, links are always in the, so- in the show notes, as ever, on the desktop on the SoundCloud. Um, they're not hard guys to track down. They're doing wonderful work, and it's uh, quite rightly getting some prominence right now. So cheers for that one. Um, go and have a look on Barney Ibbotson's website. He's an illustrator based in Manchester, and he designed these beautiful stained-glass windows. Um kind of vinyl stickers they look beautiful and there is portfolio so go and take a look yeah so i hope you enjoyed the episode please get us your feedback over at arrest all mimics on social platforms uh always good to hear from you guys um drop us a little review if you get a moment please thank you once again to my sponsors illustrationweb.com heartinternet.co.uk Real Junk Food Manchester, Feeding Bellies Not Bins and ongoing support from the brilliant Association of Illustrators. Um, So next week we've got another episode. They're coming thick and fast but applications are open for the DNAD shift programme. So for regular listeners you might listen. You might remember even. Um, About a year ago I covered DNAD's fascinating shift programme. So it's it's a night school, a free night school and they have very limited places on this. But they offer it up for people who do not have a degree, they've got creative energy, they've got raw talent, and they want to kind of work with them and bring people in from industry to try and uh, make sense of it and, and work out who they are, where they might want to go, and, and help them get industry placements. So it's a fantastic little initiative that I hope is going to grow, something that we hope can work alongside um, traditional higher education, creative education. And we're going to be returning to Shift this time. We've got Nate Agbatu 
coming up, uh, who's working at Nike as we speak. Uh, he's worked at Wyden and Kennedy, but he graduated from the Shift program just recently, and he's a top guy, full of some fantastic ideas. And he's going to be joined by myself and Steve Frenakis, the current president of DNAD and executive creative director of Google Creative Labs. So it's one hell of a dynamic in that room, and there's some fantastic uh, stories from the guys about creativity and about their backgrounds and about refining raw talent. So it's a big show coming up. So look forward to that one next week. And uh, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So that's coming up uh, 10th of July. Yeah, coming up. So come back soon. Come and check it out. Uh, let us know your thoughts as ever at Arrest on the Mix on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And thanks once again for listening, guys. It means a lot. Uh, cheers for Cal for giving his time. Go and have a look at Flo's work. Uh, stay creative this week. Have a good one. And we'll see you next week for Steve Frenakis, Net Agbatu. Uh, it's returning to DNA D Shift, and we're talking all things creativity. So it's a big one. Uh, come back in and tune in. Nice one, guys. Take care. See you later.